I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me this morning to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. We started a series last week called Waiting on God. How do we develop patience while waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled in our lives? How do we wait on God? How do we wait patiently on the Lord as we, as we look to His fulfilling or fulfillment of the promises He's made to us? How many of you will agree with me this morning that when God makes a promise to us, He fulfills His promise? How many of you agree? Um, I'm grateful that God doesn't operate based on my time, right? Because if He did, man, my, my life would be chaotic, right? Um, but I'm grateful for God's perfect time, and I'm grateful for God's purpose and, and His plan for my life. And I'm grateful that God leads me along the, the, the plans that He has for me to bring me to His desired uh, purpose and calling uh, and it's important for me as I wait on Him to develop patience, to trust God's will, to trust God's timing, and to trust the process that God allows me to go in or to walk in as I wait on Him. I've titled today's message, Hidden Messages Behind Disobedience. Hidden Messages Behind Disobedience. Now, I remember growing up, um, whenever I would get in trouble, I'm sure I'm not the only one that got in trouble <laughs> growing up, but whenever I would get in trouble, especially if I did something I should not have done, or if maybe if I you know, did not follow instructions or follow directions, or I, I did something that my parents had explicitly told me not to do, uh, usually my dad, even my mom, even would always say to me, there was a reason behind your disobedience. You, you, you had a reason for it. The, the reality is, is as, as many times as I would tell my parents, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to. When we disobey, we meant to. There is no such thing as I just disobeyed because I didn't. No, we, disobedience is a deliberate choice. Do you agree? It is a deliberate choice. And in disobeying, we're communicating something by our disobedience. We're saying, you know, as again, as kids growing up, we're saying to our parents, your instruction did not mean anything to me. That's what we're saying. Um, I, what I wanted was, in my mind, better or more important than what you asked me to do. That's what, we're, that's what we're communicating. Disobedience always has a message. So there is no instance where we can ever suggest that um, we just accidentally disobey. No. And in the same way, with, with in our, in, when it comes to waiting on God or exercising patience as we look to Him to fulfill His promises in our lives, when God gives us direction as we are waiting on Him, whether it be wait or proceed or delay or turn, light, red, turn, turn to the right or turn to the left, whatever instruction God gives us, if we do not follow that instruction, friend, it is disobedience. In fact, the Bible says to him who knows to do right but does not do it, it is sin. God does not sugarcoat disobedience. He calls it like it is. And it's important that we learn to call disobedience what it is. Now, of course, I'm grateful for the grace and mercy of God that, he ex that is extended to us. It is by no means meant to give us license to live in disobedience. It is by no means meant to give us a freedom to uh, live in, in rebellion to the will of God in our lives. But it's important for us to realize today that every time we walk in disobedience, we are sending a message. Right or wrong, behind every action, there is an idea, a motive, or a purpose. And as we're going to look in the scriptures this morning, we're going to discover that obedience to God is a must as you and I wait for His promises to be fulfilled in our lives. 
If we're to see God fulfill the promises He has made to us, then there's a part that we have to play in this process. We can't rush God, we can't obligate God to move based on our own timing or our own preference or, or how we think it should be done. We must learn to wait on Him and to do what He's asked us to do. In the story we're about to read this morning, we're going to find the apostle, I mean, not the apostle, excuse me, the prophet Samuel rebuking King Saul for his willful disregard for God's instructions. Now, at this point in the story, you will discover that this is not the first time that King Saul has violated God's instructions. And, and of course, Samuel being that father figure in Saul's life, Samuel, you, you will notice in his exchange, with, with Saul and on different occasions try to get Saul to see reason, try to get Saul to look deeper than just the surface um, uh, meaning behind the actions he took, to see a deeper meaning and how it was important to, 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 to Saul that he, in his mind, just make up, make up his mind that he was going to obey God. So in, in the scenario we're about to read, we see the, the scriptures show us that the people of Israel are about to go into battle with, with an enemy nation. And as was typically the case, whenever they would go into battle, they would, uh, the, uh, burnt offerings would be offered to the Lord um, as, as, a, as a way of acknowledging that God is their source of success, the, you know, they're, they're, he, He's really the general as they, as they go into this front. Um, and, and so the prophet Samuel said to Saul, I want you to wait for me seven days. And when I arrive, when I join you and the soldiers on the battlefront, I will present, I will offer burnt offerings to the Lord, and then I will tell you what you are to do. Now, a little bit of context is necessary in understanding this scenario. So Saul was the first king in Israel's recorded history. Now, prior to him becoming king, God was their king. And the scriptures tell us that at a point, the people of Israel came to Samuel the prophet and said, we want to be like our neighbors. Our neighbors have kings, earthly kings that they look to, that lead them to battle and, and kind of serve as the face of uh, the, 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 the people, the region, the nation. We want the same for ourselves. And Samuel said to the people, you've got it wrong. God is your king. And, and, and so, of course, the people insist they want their own king. Samuel goes back to the Lord. The Lord says, Samuel, don't worry about it. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And in a sense, the scripture says God gives in to their request and he raises up for them this young man named Saul. Now, as far as the people were concerned, Saul fit the, the picture of what the king, ideal king looked like. He was a handsome guy. He was very charismatic. Um, he was very, he looked like a king, right? But there was a problem that Saul had. Saul did not have a heart after God. Even though he fit all of the criteria of what the people said they wanted in a king, the most important quality he lacked, and that was a heart for God. And we see this demonstrated in his attitude and in his actions on many different occasions. So in this instance, the prophet says to him, I want you to gather with the troops, and I want you to wait for me to come and meet you, and then we will offer sacrifices to God, and then I will give you instructions from the Lord as to how to engage this battle. And the scripture says that seven days went by and um, Saul became very impatient. In fact, part of what motivated his lack of patience was the fact that the soldiers were getting antsy. So much so that many of them started to leave. Now already, they were at that point already vastly outnumbered, almost five, six to one compared to the enemy. 
And so when these soldiers start to walk out the door, Saul starts to get nervous and he's thinking, you know what, Samuel is delaying for whatever reason, I don't know. So I'm going to offer the sacrifices on his behalf so that this way I can at least um, appease or assuage the nervousness that the soldiers are exhibiting. And the scripture says that no sooner had Saul offered these sacrifices that Samuel showed up at the door. And this is what verse 8 says. Now he waited for seven days until the appointed time that Samuel had set, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. And so Saul said, Bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. But as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, since I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come at the appointed time. Look at him, he's casting blame. He's saying, you know what? You put me in this position, Samuel. If you had done what you were supposed to do, then I wouldn't have done what I ended up doing. But the reality was, is that was not a good enough excuse for him. Scripture says, Saul said, since I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come at the appointed time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought... Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. And so I worked up the courage. Who's, look at what he's doing. He's painting Samuel, he's painting the soldiers as the reason why he's doing what he's doing, and then he's painting himself as the hero. I, I had to do something. Something had to be done, and so I stepped up. So he says, I thought now the Philistines have come, so I worked up the courage, excuse me, verse, verse 12, and I offered the burnt offering, but then Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, for the Lord would now have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his heart, and the Lord has appointed him ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. I want you to pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you today because, Lord, your word, as the psalmist writes, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, your will for us is perfect. It is good. It is righteous. And Lord, part of this journey of walking with Christ involves us learning to trust your word, to trust you, to trust your timing, to trust your will, to trust your way, God. And to never presume, Father, that we know better than you or we know greater than you do. Or that, Lord, at any point will you ever allow us, Lord, to get away with justifying wrongdoing or disobedience. God, I pray speak to us today through your word. And, Lord, may we, Father God, Father God, emulate, Father, the example that you set for us, Father, in your word. Father, even as we learn, Father, by way of the mistakes that Saul made, what not to do in this pursuit of your will for our lives. Speak to us this morning, God. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen. Amen. So we're answering the question, what are the messages that disobedience sends? As I said to you this morning, behind every decision, every choice, every act, there is always a purpose, there's an ideal, uh, there is a reason for what we do. Nothing ever happens by accident. Disobedience is always a deliberate choice, and it's important for us to pay attention to the messages that our disobedience sends. When you look at the story of King Saul, his actions in the, in the scriptures we just read, there are three messages that his decision, his decision to disobey God's instructions sent. 
And it's important for us to, as we are hearing this this morning, search all of our, all of us search our hearts and ask the Lord, are, are, these, are these evident in my own life? And if they are, then we repent. Not to make excuses to justify it or to suggest that we have a good reason for doing what God says we should not do, but that we just simply repent when the Holy Spirit brings these to our attention. Here's the first message that we see shown in Saul's actions. Number one, that we trust our way over God's. Saul knew clearly what the instruction from the, from the prophet was. Go to the battlefront and wait for me. And after seven days, I will come and I will meet you. And I will offer sacrifices to the Lord and then I will tell you what to do. So in essence, what Samuel said to King Saul was, do not do anything until I show up. Do not do anything until I arrive. Do not do anything until I come and I tell you what God says you are to do in response to the enemy that confronts you. And yet what we find in, Samuel, in Saul, excuse me, his decision to offer the burnt, burnt offering in Samuel's place was his belief in his mind that his way was better than God's. How many times you and I find ourselves waiting on the Lord and we believe God has given us explicit directions, but then we begin to grow impatient. Why? Because the circumstances seem to be changing, seem to be shifting, but we don't feel like God is moved or that God is speaking. And because of the fear or nervousness that we feel inside about the timing of things and, and our concern that things are going to, be, go, going to go, get out of control and, and, and the outcome is not going to be what we, what we want it to be, that we decide that we're going to do something about it. Remember we talked about this last week with Abraham and with Sarah. When the scripture says God had promised them, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you with a child and out of this child is going to come a great nation. You're going to make you and both of your father and mother of a great nation. And the scripture says that about 11 years has gone by since God had made, first made this promise. And Sarai says to her husband, God does not want me to have a child. And so I'm going to give you my maidservants so that you can have a child through her to fulfill God's promise. And in doing so, she created more problems than, than really they had banked on. How many times in our own lives we, we, we make a decision or, or the choice to do what God has asked us not to do. And, and we fail to realize that when we do so, what we are essentially saying to God is, God, my understanding is better than yours. My, the, the way I see this outcome, the way I see this working out is different from yours. God, I think that my way is better than your way. I'll be honest with you this morning. There have been many times where I knew what God was wanting me to do and I did the opposite. I did the opposite because I was afraid. I was worried. I, I, I wanted to, in a sense, have some sense of control over what was going on in my life. And rather than trust God, I did what I thought was, 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 was best for me. And in doing so, I not only disobeyed the Lord, dishonored the Lord, but I created greater problems. When we disobey God, friends, we are saying to Him, God, my way is better than your way. That's what we're saying. And let's just be honest this morning. When we disobey God's instructions, we are saying His way is not as good as ours. And it's something that we must caution ourselves against. Because ideally, if I was to come up to you and say to you, do you believe that God's ways are lesser than yours? Your answer would be what? What would your answer be? What would your answer be? No. But, but I hope you're not saying no because that's what you're expecting me to hear. I hope you're saying no because you truly believe that God's ways are better than yours. But understand that when we disobey Him, that's what we are saying. God, my way is better than yours. And this is what Saul kept doing. This is why God said, notice in the later verses, God, God points to the fact that He has raised up somebody else whose heart is after Him. 
Because that was the most important thing to God. It didn't matter what, what the king would look like on the outside, whether he fit the people's profile of what the ideal king looked like. For God, the most important thing is, is this person, a person after my heart. And when you and I say we're going to disobey God, when God is giving explicit instruction to us and we do the opposite, that's what we are saying to him, that God, my way is better than your way. But if you would say to me this morning, Pastor John, that's not what I intend to suggest, then we need to check those areas in our lives where we're walking in disobedience. Because that's exactly what we're doing. But not only that, not only does disobedience to God show that we trust our way over His, but disobedience to God shows that we are unwilling to be led by Him. Think about when, when we were kids, right? You know, as kids, we were dependent on, on others around us, our parents, our relatives, you know, people that, that, that played a role of influence in our lives. Wherever they led, we followed, right? We, we trusted them to lead us. But, but imagine the image of a child that, 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 that a parent is trying to lead and the child is pulling back and saying, no, I don't want to go. That's a child that is unwilling to be led. So when we say to God, God, I'm not going to follow your instruction. I'm not going to follow your direction. What we are saying to God is, God, I am unwilling to be led by you. Even though I, I, I know your word says that you, you, you have good plans for me. Even though, God, I know your word says that, that you mean good for me. But God, in this scenario, I don't want to be led by you. This is what Saul was suggesting to God. That he was unwilling to be led by God. That he was unwilling to be led by God's instructions for him. The fact of the matter is, this mandate, this requirement for the prophet to offer sacrifices was one that God had established. God had established that the proper order was that those that, that represent him to the people would be the ones to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. For whatever reason, Saul in his mind thought to himself, because I'm king, I can subvert that requirement that God has put in place. And I can take matters into my own hands. Why? Because I'm king. Notice the scripture says, he said to the people, he said to the soldiers, bring me the burnt offering so that I might offer it. Is it because he did not know that was not his role? He knew. He knew. But Saul chose to not yield to the instructions of God. This is again the difference between him and of course a man like David, a man after God's heart. Because one of my favorite scriptures, the, the psalmist writes, Your word have I hidden in my heart, Psalm 119 verse 11, that I might not sin against you. The psalmist's mentality, David's mentality was, God, your word exists to guide me. Your word exists to bring me to your perfect will. Your word exists to show me the way I'm supposed to go. Your word exists to light my path for me so I don't stumble as I walk through life. That I'm able to follow your direction and trust that your direction would take me to a path, uh, to take me to an end that is favorable for my life. But when you and I choose to disobey God, what we are saying to God is, God, I don't want to follow you. I don't trust your leadership in my life. Again, if I was to ask you that question, do you truly believe that, 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 that God's will for you is not good, is not perfect, that, it, that, that, that there's, there's a way that is better than His? You would answer no. But what do our actions suggest? Because again, we can say one thing with our lips, but then our behavior, our actions, our choices are saying something completely different. Disobedience always shows that we are unwilling to be led by God. And again, if we are truly committed to be led by Him, then we must understand the importance of the Word, the importance of prioritizing the Word. One of the things I encourage my young people, my children, is this. Do not just simply read the Word, but ask questions. What does it mean, God? What, do you, what, 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 are, you, what are you trying to say to me? What do you want me to do in light of what your Word says? 
Let, let us not just be hearers, hearers of the word, is what the scripture says. We must be what? Doers. Everybody say doers. Doers of the word. It is not enough for us to know scripture. Even Satan knows scripture. Even Satan knows the word, but it does no good for him because he does, he does not act on the word. In the same way you and I will understand this, it is not just the accumulation of knowledge, friends, but it is the commitment to apply what the Holy Spirit reveals to us. But when we choose to not do so, we are saying to God, I do not want to be led by you. In the same way that a child would resist the, the parent or the, or the guardian's instruction to follow, to be led by, and the child is resisting and pulling back and saying, no, no, no. That's what we are saying to God when we refuse to obey him. And here's the third point this morning. Disobedience to God shows that we are dismissive of the consequence of sin. As I mentioned at the beginning, this was not the first time that Saul had done what he did. In fact, this would not be the last time that Saul would do what he did. But there was a pattern that Saul showed of being dismissive to the consequence of sin. There was a pattern that Saul demonstrated of being very ambivalent, having uh, an apathetic attitude when it came to the seriousness of sin. Bible makes it very clear to us, friends, that sin is costly. Bible makes it very clear to us that sin is deadly. Do you understand that this morning? There is, there is no good that ever comes out of sin. There is no good that ever comes out of unrighteousness. There is no good that ever comes out of rebellion against God's instructions. And so when we choose to walk deliberately, willingly, purposefully in sin, what we are saying to God is, I do not care about the consequence of, your, of, of sin. I do not care about the ramifications of sin. And we see in Paul Saul's actions that he did not take God's warning about sin seriously. So that... After what he did, the prophet would say to him, Saul, because you did not obey the Lord's instruction, he has taken this kingdom from you. Saul had every potential in the world to, to be a great king. And yet the reason he missed the mark was because he was unwilling to obey God. And God said, if I'm going to have a king in place to rule over my people, that king has to be somebody who has, who, whose heart is after me. And in the same way, if you and I are to live for the Lord and live the purpose and call that he has on our lives, we must understand that we can never, ever at any point be dismissive of, dismissive of sin. I am so grateful for the Holy Spirit who lives in us and leads us. Because his responsibility is to convict us of sin. Jesus preached, taught about this. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict you. It will bring to, to bear on your heart and mind the truth about sin. And it's not so we can become aware of it, but so that we can respond to what he brings us to brings to our attention. That in the same way when I when I say to someone that I care about that, hey, listen, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is not going to end well. That I would hope that that person would not would not cast aside my 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 warning or challenge, but that they would listen to what I'm saying. And, and that they would, they would take what I'm saying seriously so that they would avoid the danger that, that, that confronts them. In the same way God is speaking to you and I and He speaks to us daily, constantly through the Holy Spirit. And He's saying to us, don't go in that direction. Don't say that. Don't do that. Don't act in that way. Why? Because He knows where it will take us to. I remember many years ago, my brother and I went to the Grand Canyon. We went, uh, this was, uh, uh, you know, just two guys just, you know, touring the, the state of Arizona and Nevada and 
And I remember the day we went to visit the Grand Canyon and you know the Grand Canyon and you of course probably have heard many times in the news that people fall into their death at the Grand Canyon at different parts of the Grand Canyon. And I remember that particular day that we were there visiting and just kind of checking out the sites. And there was there was there was a point there was a place where there wasn't a, it wasn't a fence it was just a, a concrete barrier, but one that was short enough that anybody could literally climb over. But there was a sign right there that said, "Do not climb over." And I kid you not, I remember seeing vividly this father telling his young son, this boy had to be in elementary, telling him to climb over the ledge and to get as close to the edge as possible so he could take a picture. And I was looking at this man like, "What a fool! You are about to you are about to hurt your son." Because, because of a picture. And in my mind, I was thinking to myself, why, why, why do people take dangers so recklessly? Why, why, why do we have a lackadaisical attitude when it comes to warnings that have been put in place to keep us from harm? And, and we, we seek thrills. And, and, and this is part of what the enemy tries to do, is that he, 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 he wants us to buy into the instant gratification that we gain from, from disobeying God, from, from following, from embracing a, a lifestyle of sin. But what he does not tell us is the danger on the other side. And we think to ourselves, hey, this looks good, this looks pleasing, it looks admirable. And, and, and we, we consider what we're going to get out of that in that instant, in that moment, but we fail to realize the greater consequence that follows. Bible tells us that the wage of sin is death. The consequence of sin is death. The penalty of sin is death. The end of sin is death. To, to suggest to you and I that sin is not something that we take lightly. It's not something that we dismiss. I'm grateful again, like I said, for the Holy Spirit whose job is to, is to, is to challenge us, is to convict us, is to call to our attention the things in our lives that are not aligning with God's will. But at the end of the day, He cannot make us do what we do not ourselves choose to do. But if we find ourselves having to deal with the consequence of sin, friends, it's not going to be because God did not want us. We must take sin seriously. Again, I look at Saul's story as a tragic example of what it looks like when we, when, when we refuse to obey God, when we refuse to, to take God at His word, when we refuse to, to follow Him, to be led by Him, to, to take His warning seriously in our lives. Let us never be lost on the message that willful disobedience separates us from fellowship with God. It separates us from fellowship with each other. And, and, and let us allow the Holy Spirit to examine our own hearts and we ask ourselves the question, God, are there areas in my life where I'm walking in disobedience today? Just, and and it, it, again, it, it's, not, it's not so you can simply feel bad or be, or be over, overwhelmed with guilt. That's not the goal. God's desire is that as He, bring, as he brings, truth to, brings truth to bear in our hearts and our lives as we come to understand the areas in our lives where we are falling short, that we say, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Help me to live for you. Help me to, to, to live past those areas in my life where I'm struggling, where, where I, I, I am falling on a misguided approach to, 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 to walking with you. God's desire for us today is this. That as, he, as we wait on Him to bring us to the promises that He's made to our lives, that we are walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit as He leads us in the direction of where God wants to take us. Every single one of you this morning, God has made promises to you. And I want you to know that God intends to fulfill every promise He has made to you. That is His purpose, that is His plan. But there are things that God is asking you to do, steps of obedience He's asking you to take. That may not make sense in the moment, it may not seem like it'll contribute to the grander scheme of what you believe God is seeking to do in your life. But what I wanted you to understand this morning is this. Your responsibility is to simply obey. 
You don't have to fully understand God's process, God's purpose. All you have to simply do is trust Him that whatever He's asking you to do, that He will lead you to that desired end and just simply obey. May the story of Saul not be our story, friends. May, 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 may we not be like, 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 like we are doing with Saul today. May, people, may nobody look at you and I and say, well, you know what? Sister so-and-so, their story could have been different. Brother so-and-so, his story could have been different. Instead, let, let it be said of us that we are, we are so in tune with the, with the Spirit of God as He leads us. Because we recognize He has a purpose and plan for our lives that we say, Father, lead me where you go, I will follow you. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. And that we can trust that God will bring us again, as I said, to that desired end. Rather than adopting that disobedient mindset, let's believe that God knows better than we do what's best for us. Let's not act as if God's word is irrelevant to our lives. Let's, let's recognize that God's word exists to help shape who we're meant to become. And let us take sin's destructive nature seriously. There's a quote I want to share with you as I close this morning by Henry Blackaby. In talking about the importance of walking in obedience to God, this is what he says. If you know that God loves you, you never question his directive because it will always be right and best. And so rather than contemplate, rather than discuss or debate a directive that God gives you, you simply obey. You simply obey. Don't wait for God to make, to make it make sense. Whatever God asks you to do, you do. And trust Him that He will bring you to the end that He desires for you. Let us stop ignoring Him. Let us stop justifying our wrongdoing. Let us stop compromising. And let us, more importantly, friends, stop misrepresenting God in the eyes of the world. That when, when the world looks at us, they see a people who are committed to pleasing God. That we're committed to living by His, His instructions in our lives. And as I said... Let us ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and where He reveals areas of our lives where we are falling short, where we are walking in disobedience to Him, let us repent and say, Father, have mercy on us and help us to walk in right fellowship with You. I want to invite everyone to bow your heads with me this morning as we pray. And, and you know, as I, as I did, even as I was preparing this message, I want to invite you to do with me today. And that's to renew your commitment to the Lord to obeying His Word, to being a, a man or woman who is known by obedience to His instructions, not, not by disobedience. That, that, that we will be known as people who, who seek his, 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 his Word, who seek His direction, who seek His truth, and that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're seeking to walk in it. And that as we follow the Holy Spirit's lead in our lives, that we will see God bring us to that end that, that, this, that He desires for us. The, the fulfillment of the promise that He has made to us. But I would also add that if you don't have a relationship with Christ today, that, that, that maybe you would be willing to acknowledge that, that your desire is, is for a relationship with God, but there is sin in your life that keeps you from that relationship, but you're ready to walk away from that life of sin. Why? Because you understand that in order for God's purpose and plan to be fulfilled in your lives fully, then you must give yourself to God wholeheartedly. And that's your desire to do today. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your word. I am so grateful because not only does the word, Father, tell us what we, what we are to do, but Lord, I thank you for the word is balanced in showing us what we should not do. 
we look at King Saul's life and we recognize, Lord, that there were so many ways that he fell short. And God, rather than rather than point fingers at him and point out his own shortcomings, God, I pray you would help us, Lord, to search our own hearts and to be sure that, God, the same is not found in us. And, and God, where we fall short, God, I thank you for your grace that is sufficient for us today. That, God, when we call on your name, Father, that, God, you are willing and able to meet us in our place and point of need. And that, God, you would restore, renew, revive us, Lord. God, we open our hearts to you today and we ask, Lord, that you would have your way in us, Lord. That in this moment, God, you would help us be a people who are known, Father God, as committed to your instruction, committed to your word, to your direction who seek your will, who seek your best, who seek your purpose, who seek your plan and your timing, Father, for our lives. God, I pray that, Lord, our lives, our obedience, Father, would point others to Christ and that, Lord, others would come to trust you, God, even as they see us trusting you and seeing you work out your will in our lives. And for, Lord, anyone here today who does not have a relationship with Christ, who recognizes, Lord, that, that they cannot experience your best outside of your will, outside of your lordship, outside of surrendering their lives to you, Lord. But in this moment, Lord, they are ready, they are willing, they are committed to making that decision to make you the Lord of their lives. Father, thank you that God, you, God, by your spirit, having drawn them to you, Father, God will transform their lives as they surrender their all to Jesus. Thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. That, Lord, through his finished work on the cross, we can be forgiven. And through his resurrection from the dead, we have the promise, the promise of life and life everlasting. That God, today and every day going forward, Father God, as they are yielded to you, God, that Lord, by your spirit, Father God, you would help them, Father God, to, to work and to will according to your good pleasure, Father, so that God, your name is glorified in their lives. Again, we thank you this morning for your word. And we pray, God, help us be a people who are committed, Lord, to you and to your leadership in our lives. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen.